All right, we're going. I am uh, live here with my good buddy, Chad Hymas. My name is Dennis Deloach. I'm the host of the Uncle Jim Effect podcast. And I've been leading up to this uh, by talking about discovering our God-given potential and what a tremendous impact my Uncle Jim had on my life and how it literally catapulted me to a, a destiny so much different that I couldn't even dream of. And from the time I've thought about trying to create value for other people and sharing with them my story, there's been one story that stuck in my mind, and that's the, the story of this, this great man right here. And uh, I've been so blessed to know Chad. And uh, in life, there's a few times, if we're lucky, that we find people that make us better just by being around them. And this is definitely one of those great, great men. And I, I mean every word I'm saying. He... He uh, will downplay this, but he's literally helped me change my life. I've become a better man, husband, father, grandfather, and uh, simply because of watching what he does. I love what he says, but more importantly, I love watching what he does. He's got a beautiful family, and we're going to get into all that. But Chad, welcome. If I get tired of him, maybe I'll just hit the... Uh, yep, plug it right back in. Camera, just turn it right yeah. on. If you don't like in. the BLU football in the back, or if you don't like any of my... That, if you don't like that stuff, you can just, you know, mute me out when I start talking about that. I go off on tangents all the time. We're not into this thing two minutes. I'm already thinking about how I can just phase that out and block you out. From the That's beginning. right. That's right. Dennis you and I have this ongoing, this uh, rivalry. I don't know why it has to be a rivalry. I mean, it's the same color. The Aggies aren't bad. I don't think the Cougars are bad. At least, you know, we're not cheering reds. I mean, it could be much worse. So That's right. That's and right. I, I do want to start off by asking you, where did uh, your – Children go to school. I'm not quite sure if you can. Yeah, they did go to they did go to Utah State. They went to their their Aggies, but they grew up going to to watch BYU football. It's just, um, <laughs> I guess you have to be too righteous. And my family's not quite there yet to get that. You see, have to lower, right. some, lower standards a little bit. That's right. Hey, I want to I want to start by embarrassing you, and uh, I want I want my listeners to to listen to this. I don't read things on here very often, but I want to read. What uh, a little bit about Chad and his bio. Uh, the Wall Street Journal, of all things, said Chad is one of the 10 most inspirational people in the world. He's the youngest person to ever receive the CPAE Award and be inducted into the National Speaker Hall of Fame all at the age of 37. That's a lot of letters, but that means he's an extremely well-known speaker and travels the world. Uh, I... In his book, it says his greatest accomplishment, I agree with this, is that he's a husband to Shondell and to four, four wonderful kids. And we're going to talk about them in a minute. He's also a world record holder for pushing his wheelchair. I believe it's 513 miles, Chad. Is that correct? That is. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Wow, that, that's a long drive from Salt Lake to Las Vegas in an air-conditioned car. I can't imagine. We're going to talk <laughs> about that a little bit. Uh, and just some of the other things, best-selling author. We're going to talk about that book. He spoke to some of the big names, Wells Fargo, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Ford, IHC, Coca-Cola, Utah Jazz. All of those, uh, I think I remember hearing somewhere along the line that, I don't know if it's a world record or just that you're known for, but as a uh, quadriplegic, that you literally travel the globe on your own. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know if... if uh, there's an official title for that, but I've seen you in action and it is impressive. Well, I'm never truly alone. I always find, I mean, you're right. That, I think it's kind of absurd myself. I, I, they do recognize that and they, 
put it all over for people to see on social media. But the truth is I'm never alone because I always have, you know, strangers in perfectly imperfect strangers. I mean, that's kind of, kind of a, you know, a metaphor in and of itself, but perfectly imperfect strangers that help me out wherever I go. And that's, uh, that's kind of how it works for me. So I just, I always find somebody and, and uh, they're willing to help or if they can't, then it's okay. We just move on and, and, uh, Try not put people in a bad place. But try and ask with kindness if I need to ask. Most of the time, I don't even have to ask. People just want to say, "Hey, you know, I've got you covered." And it seems to work out. I, I haven't had too many too many problems. Well, I just want to say I've been in the vehicle with you many times, and you're kind of a crazy driver. <laughs> yeah, I've got a heavy hand for sure. Yeah. You, you definitely have a heavy hand. But anyway, I really. Uh, all kidding aside, I just wanted to read that. That is such an impressive bio, Chad. And like I said, I, I've known you and, and know the real you and inside out. And I, I know what a wonderful person you are. But I mean, to have the Wall Street Journal make that comment that one of the 10 most inspirational people in the world and, and that that root word inspire to me, that is such an unbelievable uh, compliment. Well, if you look at what that word means, and I think we all do this in one form or another, the word inspire means to breathe life into. And so if we can help breathe hope and life and and energy and positive energy into other people, uh, that gives them an extra day to live and grow and uh, learn and scale themselves. And so I think that's probably why we're all here is to learn, grow and scale ourselves, both spiritually, physically, mentally organically, you know, with our health, whatever that might be for us, our mental health. And so if we can help do that for other people, I think that there's probably no greater uh, calling or no greater reward than to do that for our children, our grandchildren, uh, kids on our little league team, coworkers, colleagues, people that come to the dental office, whoever that might be. I mean, just, we can breathe life into people. That's a, that's a, it's a pretty, pretty good thing to be able to, to say that you're there. You're there for the better good and the people are better because you exist. Well, I, I can testify that, you know, I've I've seen you in action at all. We've had you in with our family and I've had you in with our business. And, and I've spent time around you and, and I guess breathing life into and talking about what that word means. That's an absolute great way to just describe, uh, I mean, what you've done for me personally and what I've seen you do, if not on video, but in front of you know, lots and lots of people. So. You know, and I think what I want to, you know, uh, what I want the listeners to know is, you know, in life, we all have troubles and we all have doubts and we all have obstacles in our way. You know, we've all faced those kind of things. And and yet uh, I look at the attitudes you have with some of the obstacles that have been placed in your way. I want to kind of dive into that a little bit. But I, first, I wanted to read in your book. And I love your book. I've read that several times, the doing what must be done. And I wanted to read in the very beginning uh, on the uh, the intro. I just want to read something that, that says here. And this was by uh, the guy that you had do this intro. And his name was Kevin Hall. And again, I don't like reading to take my eyes off the camera. I don't read this. Is, this is really cool. Chad may not be able to move his legs, but I have seen him move an audience of thousands to tears as they connect with the power of their God-given potential. And, and Chad, we've talked a lot on this podcast. Something dear to me is 
helping people discover their God-given potential. And we all have it. It's just how do we find that? So that's the real backbone to what this whole podcast is about. And then he goes on, Chad may not be able to lift or raise his feet, but I've seen him lift and raise the spirit and hopes of those burdened with despair and heartache. And I don't know that anything better can be said about somebody than that. I mean, what what's that like hearing someone talk to you after you know this struggle that you've been through? Well, I, um, it's not a secret that my dream uh, wasn't to do what you just explained. I, I think it's uh, a hiatus for each, you know, each one of us to, to aspire to do that and to, to make other people better. But I, I've always just kind of wanted to uh, follow my, you know, you talk about your uncle. I, my uncle was a farmer and I've always wanted to be kind of like him and, and have animals and kind of a, a spread of ground to, to raise those animals on and some pasture and have water on the pasture. And if I was lucky, maybe have a creek go through it. Just kind of that ambiance. That was kind of always my, my passion. And I, I think I, I kind of found that passion when I went to his ranch and worked with him and while building that, I made a mistake and became a quadriplegic on the ranch. While building my own ranch, I, I made a mistake and and I found out, you know, later on after that accident occurred that I um I can be a farmer and not have to be on the 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 farm to do it. And and the doors have opened up much bigger than what I ever thought were possible. And so yes, the farm is still great, the stream is still cool, the the green fields are great and the animals are beautiful and that's all well and good, but I have changed my, my definition, I guess, of what a farmer looks like and, and uh, have broadened that scope to maybe traveling around the world and sharing with audiences. And they have become the actual fruits of the farm and the harvest of, of the farm itself. And so I, uh, the selfish side of me is, is, Hey, I sure wish I could be out there running the tractor and plowing the fields and planting the seeds. Um, but, I'm still out there traveling and planting the seeds and driving the tractor, which might be an airplane and, and, uh, and, you know, speaking in God's ballroom instead of my, instead of my own. And that kind of is how I, how I perceive it today and how I look at it. So that's, that's kind of the, what, what I do and how I look at it today. And well, that's, that's, that's a beautiful way to put it. And even that you're understating it. I, I believe at some point in our journey, uh, in this next life, we're going to have the ability to see that effect that we've had on people that we didn't have an idea. And I think when you're in that room and get to see the effect you've had on people, that's going to be a pretty big ballroom. Well, they've had a great impact on me. I, I have always thought that I'm going to be more in debt to people than I am uh, collecting debts from because they've been so gracious to help me you know, travel around and to, to get around to the place I needed to be. I, I have a lot of people to, to debt, you know, to pay debts to it. And I'm indebted to for all that they've done to help me get from where I need to be at point A to point B. Just, you know, just picture one day for me is one day for me is probably 20 transfers. That's 20 different people, you know, two or three different bellmen in hotels. Uh, I can't even count the flight attendants or the pilots and, people to help me and the uber driver you know who doesn't expect to pick up a guy in a wheelchair i'm just saying that it's not none of that's arranged none of that's pre-arranged i don't travel with anybody so it's not like it's all right one person's going to take care of all of those needs it's completely different people uh, everywhere i go just going through an airport and pushing up a ramp 
I will sit there at the bottom of the ramp and I'll wait and I'll ask a complete stranger. And that, you know, that, the whole dichotomy of the way that that day works when you look at the video. We, we did a video once, uh, I think it's called The Day in the Life of, uh, and then there's my name there. And uh, you see all the, literally, the, you know, 50, if not 70 people that help me out in one day as I travel. And as I get that help uh, on a shower day, so that as another two people there, you know, it just, it's unreal. So I, uh, a lot of people to, to be grateful for in the circumstance that I'm in and still able to travel being uh, 95% numb. You know, my, my body is 95, 90 to 95% numb. I, I don't have my legs or my feet. The midsection is gone. Uh, stomach is gone. Um, I am moving a little bit and then a chair, uh, but the movement is my shoulders. I've got really good shoulders and I can't feel my hands and I can't feel my forearms. So I get a lot of help. Well, and, and you mentioned that I would highly encourage anybody that's listening to this, uh, go to YouTube and look up his name, Chad Hymas, H-Y-M-A-S. If you want to be impressed, inspired, and even uh, uh, entertained a little bit, look at the videos he has. There's a tremendous range of them that are fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'll just say that, but I would highly encourage you. It will, it will inspire you to, to raise your level. Uh, you mentioned the, the accident on the farm. Go Let's go back to that day. I think it was April 3rd. Yeah, you're right. One, yeah. 6.30 yeah. p.m. Go back to that day and, and kind of share with the, the uh, listeners a little bit about that because this kind of sets the stage. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think it's a great place to talk and a great, great subject to talk about. I, I, uh, you're right. It was about 6 o'clock uh, in the evening that it occurred, but I actually received a phone call much earlier in the day, probably around 11 a.m., maybe even noon, um, asking me if I could get home a little earlier. Shondell had called me. I was in Salt Lake working and, and the youngest boy, our youngest boy, we had two uh, boys. Um, Ace was three and Kyder was one and I had gotten word that he had started walking and so she asked me if I could get home to, to play ball with him before dinner and so I I did leave work from Salt Lake a little early and stopped by the farm out here and fed the animals and I was on my last load of the night and had a big bale on the forks of the tractor, a bale that weighs more than a truck. And I lifted that thing up 15 feet to put it in the feeder and the hydraulic uh, warning light was going off on the dash, which was an indicator that my hydraulic tank was empty. It's similar to the gas light going off in your car, making you aware that you, you know, you're low on fuel. So I, I got that uh, low sign, that low warning sign, the indicator, and I chose to ignore that sign because I was in a hurry and I'd also made it work with that before. So I skipped that procedure and uh, ironically, because I chose that, um, a lot of our results in our life come because of our choices. And I made that one. I accept that. That bale of hay rolled over backwards and it landed on my body and it punched my head through the steering column. And the result from that was a bunch of broken bones in my neck broken ribs and the broken out jaw and mouth and i had to get all that fixed i guess and i woke up several weeks later and that's when i found out that i was uh going to be in this circumstance and that there was no the doctors were able to fix all the broken bones and repair uh surgically my my jaw and my mouth and and my teeth and things of that nature but they're not able to do the spinal cord back together there's no cure for that and so mm -hmm. that's where my new life was to begin and uh that's when my dad walked into the room and frankly just um, gave me a challenge and told me that I um, perhaps 
if I was willing to look at things from a different perspective, that maybe I could be a better farmer with, uh, I have a hard time, you know, keeping a straight face and talking. It takes a lot of guts to be able to say something like that to your son. I, uh, I can only imagine the pain that my dad was going through. I mean, Dennis, you have kids. If you were to see one of your kids unable to move on a bed, I think you'd drop to your knees right then and there and pray to God to take that kid's place. Um, I was a young kid, young family, and I was building dreams. And, uh, my dad had the tenacity, the wherewithal, the guts, the vision to walk into that room. And instead of bawling his eyes out, and he came in with this bold, visionary request for me to be a better farmer and to be a better husband and father and disciple and then he shared with me i was going to have to do that differently than i thought and that's got that's got to be tough for a father to say to a son that's got to be tough for a father to say to a daughter i mean i i uh, i can only imagine uh you know being being one of my own kids how much easier it'd be to just let the doctors talk and tell us how things are going to be and my dad wasn't gonna let any doctor tell me how anything was going to be he was going to let me decide that and the doctors could tell me whatever they wanted to. But, but ultimately, I would get to choose, based on my attitude, how things were going to end up based on things that I could control and not on things that I couldn't control. And uh, and he repeated that over and over again. So I, um, I was very, very lucky to have that. You know, I've heard that story many times. And each time I hear it, it, it kind of takes my breath away. Um, as you said, I mean, you paint yourself as a, as a father, you know, I mean, as men or even as women and moms, you know, we, we, we can handle a lot of things, but what we have a tendency to not be able to handle is something happening out of our control to one of our, our children. I know it. And I, uh, I want, it's, it's, uh, I'm glad you mentioned your dad and I'm going to read out of that same book, something that just unbelievable, the power of what he said, and it said, uh, this is your dad, Kelly. Son, what if I told you that you could be happier, more productive and more su more successful with no hands and no legs than you ever were with them? And I just, I wanna know what was the thought that went through your mind at the time that he said that? Well, at the very time that he said that, I was, I was still caught up in myself and um, I, I thought that he lacked, I wish I could say something positive right here, Dennis, but I, <laughs> my, my, I did not go that direction at first. No, I, I my, my yeah. thoughts were, you know, you know, thanks for the nice lip service, dad, yeah. but you don't have any credibility. Yeah. You don't know yeah. what it's like to be numb, easy to say, you have no idea. And he saw that from my facial expression. And then I said some things to him, which caused him to walk out of the room. Um, I think I heard him. But more importantly than hurt him, I don't, you know, he, he saw in me somebody that wasn't willing to be taught by their father. Yeah. And you can't teach a son or a child if they don't want to be taught. You know, my dad relates it to the farm. You can lead the horse to water, but you can't make the stubborn horse drink. And he straight out called me a stubborn horse. And you can't, you can't tame a stubborn horse that's not going to be tameable. So he left me alone. But like all good dads do, he, 
he didn't take long to come back. And he came back and he said, are you going to be teachable and talk to me? Or are you going to be stubborn like all the other people that are sitting in this hospital? And that's when I started to listen a little bit. Not a lot, but I started listening and started to ask how. And I started to ask why. And he said, why is not going to get your answer? But how is a good way? That's a good question to ask. How can you do something? What? When can you start? You know, what can I do right now? Which wasn't a lot back then, but he didn't ask a lot of me. He just asked me to put a smile on my face so the kids could come in. He said, That's a, he said if you don't do that, I can't let him come in. So let's just start with the small stuff. Let's just, nothing great comes from anything great. It comes from small stuff. It comes from small seeds. Let's just start with small. And so it started off with trying to be happy and not focusing on myself, but focus on others. And through that process, I learned that that was a great medication for me. Because when I had people in the room and I wasn't focused on my losses and I was happy, even if I was pretending to be, I noticed they were more comfortable and they were happy. And that was better than any morphine they were giving me, or any whatever that drug was, you know, stuff that dentists give the doctors on their face to knock them out and make them feel woozy. Right. Great drug. Love that stuff. But it's not long lasting. And you can only take so much of it before it damages brain cells. I mean, so my dad wanted me off that medication quick and he wanted me to start, you know, being medicated by what I could control. And that is, you know, that was my attitude towards adversity and how I accepted that and how I honored my losses by the way that I would live my life moving forward. And it hasn't always been, you know, cherries and roses. It's, there's a lot of, everybody's going through it. You know, it's, it, it life's a cycle, but I think it's when those downtimes come that maybe we find out where our grit comes from and where we find our true core. And if I can hold true to that, um, and there's times that I don't, but when I do, I get the right results. When I don't, I hurt myself. I hurt my wife. She's sad. I, the kids see that I'm not happy that day and it hurts. So I'm not saying that we have to be happy every day. It's okay to go into go into those cycles as long as we don't stay there. You know, it's right. that's the trick. We stay there, then we find ourselves truly trapped. And that's a that's a tough place to get out of. So you know what's amazing is you just made a point that uh, hit me with all the all the success you've had in life since that, and I mean all the thousands, tens of thousands of lives that you've affected, all the good that you've done, all the companies you've helped with, the wonderful relationships you've built, all of those things, it all started with your dad saying, "I know you can't do anything, but at least you can smile," and that is to me so powerful that in the deepest darkest times in our yeah. life. How powerful is that, that the simplest first thing we do uh, is, is something as easy as smiling or changing our attitude or, or that? I mean, that's amazing to me. That one little step of just a smile led you to, or I mean, I, what you've done just for me personally, let alone that, I bet it's hundreds of thousands of people you've affected in your life. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? Wow. It, um, it sure has been a, a life you know, life changer for me. I mean, I don't always practice it, especially if I've had a, a rough day or if I'm tired or worn out or maybe say, you know, this is, you know, this is a little too hard today. It's, I'm not getting the help that I need or maybe I've had an accident or whatever it might be. Um, you know, those things still occur. And it's in those moments, I think that we find, okay, how did I handle it last time? And how am I going to handle it this time? And have I learned from that last time? 
You know, am I going to handle it a little bit differently to get a different result? So. Well, I mean, that's, that's powerful stuff. And I, I mean, the power, like you said, through the pain of your dad, what he was going through to have that kind of wisdom, you know, he, uh, I'm, maybe I should have had him on here instead of you. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more content. That's for sure. Uh, oh, he's, he's, uh, what a wonderful man. I would like to switch gears a little bit. And I want to talk about, so you go from that moment in the hospital where, you know, putting together a smile is all you can do to somehow, some way you decide, okay, I, as you mentioned a while ago, you've only got 5% use of your hands. They're kind of locked. You don't, you're really numb. 90, 95% of your body's numb. Uh, and so you decide I'm going to get in my manual wheelchair and I'm going to push it from Salt Lake city, Utah to Las Vegas, 513 miles to set a world record. Uh, and not only that, but I believe it was in the month of July. Yeah. Which, you know, in Vegas on the asphalt roads gotta be over 120. I'm guessing yeah, plus 122 degrees. That's true. There you go. So talk about what was that thought process? Uh, and then that kind of goes back to that statement your dad said, which is what if I told you that without the use of your arms and legs, you would accomplish things greater than you ever had. Do you think you ever would have, walked or run or done a wheelchair from Salt Lake to Las Vegas if you had not been injured? I don't even like to drive. <laughs> it's a long drive. That is a long drive. I had a mentor that set a record in this chair. Somebody I met early on um, in the beginning stages of my paralysis that had set a world record by pushing from Salt Lake to St. George, 325 miles. And that was the inspiration behind that was breaking that record. Um, he passed away, sadly, um, just a year after my accident and um, passed away at the young age of 39 and left mm. behind a wife and three kids. And so I um, I was inspired by that to try and maybe honor that loss by doing doing that marathon. So I trained for 18 months and uh, we did choose July on purpose because of the heat. Um, you know, quad by nature means four. And the extremities of your body tend to, um, you can get hypothermia in those extremities. They get cold real easy. Um, so a lot of people like me will wear certain types of clothing to keep those extremities warm and glove up. And that heat, that's why I'm, I'm guessing that's why perhaps the older generations uh, move to Florida or Arizona. It's because it keeps their blood thin, keeps them alive longer. I mean, cold is not necessarily a, something that keeps the limbs, you know, fluid and, mm -hmm. and essential. Just, just, I, I need to have, have warmth. And so we raced in a very, very hot month to keep that blood thin, um, but it was too hot, it turns out. So halfway through the marathon, I think day number four or five, and it was an 11 day race, 11 day marathon. We went from racing it uh, during the day to night to keep the body cool, easier to cool down than it is to heat up. And so they would dump water on me to, Keep and then ice my neck and ice the ice the armpits and things like that to keep because I don't sweat. That's one of the mm -hmm. disadvantages or advantage, depending on how you look at it. I mean, I don't have to use deodorant anymore, so I have more friends than you do, Dennis, because of that. <laughs> I don't but I, I one of the you know when you don't sweat, your body doesn't cool itself off, and so mm -hmm. the the purpose in racing in July was to keep that blood thin and then be able to cool me off when needed damp and cold towels and ice and water 
So we had all that on board a, a motorhome and uh, and had a medical staff that was with us as well that kept a close eye on my on my vitals and things like that. that made sure I was taking care of myself. Pressure sores, red marks, things like that. Well, I don't want yeah. to cut you off, but it, I know I want you to go into a little bit of detail because I think there's a tremendous life lesson here. On um, as you kind of got started, you kind of jumped the gun. You felt so good, you kind of went overboard. And yeah, that first. As day, you went, I want to talk a little bit about what your thought process was. Okay, I how many miles I'm going, then how many telephone poles? Well, we trained, on. we trained for 53 miles a day. Um, but that first day of that marathon, I was feeling so good because. I think it just the adrenaline with all the people that were there, there was probably a thousand or 2000 people. I don't know, but I know it was packed and it was downtown Salt Lake. That's where we pushed off from. And there was cameras everywhere from TV stations and wanted to interview the, the family and interview me. Of course I was getting ready for the race. I just, I, I didn't want to focus on that. I needed to get pushed off, but they, you know, during the pit stops, they would interview me really quick and, and, uh, I was feeling so good that I kind of wanted to impress people. I kind of wanted to do more. So I went 74 miles on day one and day two was about the same. I think it was 69 miles on day two. It was, it was, we were, we were, we were well ahead of schedule, but when you get ahead of pace, it's kind of like when you're, when you're pacing yourself to run a, a mile marathon in, uh, you know, competitively and you're, and if you, mm -hmm. you, get off pace, you're going to wear yourself out if you don't know your own pace. And that's exactly what I did. I got so arrogant, I think, and so uh, puffed up in my own pride that I pushed too far. So day three, it caught up with me. And um, I had to push myself even going downhill. I, I was just gassed after, you know, going beyond what I knew I should have done. Day four and five were similar uh, as I approached Beaver Mountain a mountain that's steeper than Parley's Canyon in Utah, a canyon that most people around the states are familiar with as you go to Park City, Utah. Um, it's twice as steep as that. It, it increases in over 2,700 feet in just three miles. And it took me two days just to do those three miles, two full days. To, remember, we train for 50 miles a day, so I'm already 140 miles behind just in those two to three days. But I did learn with every up comes a down, and... We did like 90 miles because I hit 35 miles an hour in a wheelchair, which is, you know, almost a life sentence, a death sentence, if you will. I would like to see video of that. Yeah, we were we were hauling, and there's plenty of video on, online about you know what that on there. Um, I think the 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 biggest lesson that was taught to me on that race was um, just after we passed Mesquite, Nevada, and that's where it was hot. I mean, it was really hot, even at night. It was just it was a killer and i i was burned out we were about 87 miles away from our goal which was the mirage hotel casino in vegas that was the finish line they were waiting for us there um but i i just pulled a forrest gump to be honest with you you know in the movie forrest gump he runs from ocean to ocean a few times then he runs from border to border canada mexico a few times and out of nowhere he just says all right, I think I'm done. I think I'll go home now. And that's exactly what I did just outside of Mesquite. I stopped about two o'clock in the morning and my dad came out of the motorhome and says, everything all right? And I said, yeah, I think I'll go home now. I'm just tired. I, I, I've set the world record. I'm done. I'm just beat. I just, I just 
I'm just not motivated anymore. I'm just not, I'm, I'm done. And he said, okay, I, I respect that. I'll take you. He says, no one would fault you. You've done great. He says, why don't we take you back in the motor home and get some Gatorade in you and, and uh, we'll talk for a minute and see if that's really what you want to do. So he picked me up and he carried me back in the motor up the stairs and onto the couch and stretched me out a little bit and iced me up and gave me some Gatorade. And then he asked me a question. He said, how have you been measuring your progress? And I said, I don't, what are you talking about? I don't understand what you're saying. He says, how have you been measuring your success? I mean, how, how do you know how close you are? And I says, well, I know for one thing, the lights to Las Vegas are right there in the sky and you can see Vegas in the darkness. It's, you know, it looks so close, but yet we, we all know it's far away. And he said, how do you know it's far away? And I says, because I'm looking at the mile markers. We're 87 miles away. I mean, I'm, I'm counting the mile markers. He said, so you've been measuring this whole time your success by looking at green mile markers? I said, yes, that's how I know how far I've gone. I mean, it's, I don't, he says, that's not a bad way. I just, he just says, but sometimes it's better to break things up. And he said, we started off simple with a smile. Why don't we simplify this? If you want, he says, I'm not going to make you do it. But if you want to go back out and give it a second shot, start counting the yellow stripes in the middle of the road. They'll come by faster. See if that doesn't change your attitude a little bit. But he said, I'm not going to make you do it. But if you're willing to, and you trust me on this, I'll take you back out there and I'll, I'll walk right by your side. And we'll get this thing knocked out together. And we'll go as far as you can. Maybe you can push a few more stripes. And so I went out. And that night we pushed like 2,300 stripes. We did before I needed to rest and I went back out and I slept that day. And the next night we pushed 6,000 stripes. And on that 11th night, we pushed several thousand stripes and I hit apex junction, which is only 17 miles from Vegas. And it's all downhill from there. So we waited until nine o'clock in the morning and they shut the strip down and there was a helicopter hovering above us. And uh, I coasted my way. I remember that I just, all I had to do was steer and I coasted my way. People, they stopped the stoplights. There was police escort all on motorcycles. It was unreal what they did. People running out of the casinos cheering me on at nine o'clock in the morning. Now, granted, they were all drunk, but I didn't care. I mean, <laughs> drunk cheerleaders are better than no cheerleaders at all. And, uh, and they came out and they were cheering me on and, you know, raising their glass and everybody was toasting and, uh, you know, toasting their beers together. And of course I don't drink, but it didn't matter. And when I crossed that finish line, there went up a chair from a bunch of strangers I'd never met before that made me weep. I remember what I was taught in the hospital while, while the difficult takes time, the impossible just takes a little longer. Yeah. And, uh, that was the, that was one of the biggest lessons I think I learned in that, in that race, that marathon. Wow. How many people can say they've had the Las Vegas Strip shut down for them? Yeah. Not many. I don't know. There's a few celebrities out there, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, but, there, there's only one we've got on this call right now. That That's yeah. amazing. I there's, You know, there's so many life lessons in what those things you just said that, you know, if we're going along, we've got a big goal. And I talked last week a little bit to the listeners about a 10x goal on that book, 10x, and how it's actually a little easier to set a goal that big than it is one just a little smaller because you still think you have to do it. And yeah. If, if I just heard you talk about that, you know, that's a big metaphor for life. And again, your dad's behind that. What a, what a great man. But it is sometimes in life or in our process of any kind of goal, whether it's business, sports, health, family, whatever it is, if we think we're getting bogged down and I just can't continue at this pace, 
a lot of people are like, okay, well, I have to quit. And I mean, well, your dad says, no, quit measuring it that way. Step back, still keep score, but step back and start take looking at one step at a time instead of I got to do a mile. And uh, right. where else have you seen that in your life pay off? Oh, geez. I, getting dressed. Yeah. Just that simple task that we take for granted every morning. Cutting up a piece of fish or a steak. You know, I mean, we, there's so many different metaphors I've used. Just showering or brushing teeth. It's just every little aspect I've, I've had to really step back. Learning how to drive again with hands. Um, teaching the kids how to play ball on a small little hoop instead of a regular size hoop. And then teaching them how to play in wheelchairs before I ever let them play competitively in, with their legs so they could appreciate, um, not their legs, but appreciate those that have special needs. So which turned out to be a really big blessing because there wasn't one homecoming dance that they didn't take a special ed girl to homecoming or to prom for the full four years that they were in high school. Uh, I thought that was very, so my kids have a very special place in their heart for, you know, young people or, you know, others that are always recognizing that they grew up with that. So they know what it's like. You know, and I, I know your kids and I've seen them and they are, I've seen how they look at you. And, uh, you know, you can't, you can't pay for that. And I know how much they love you and respect you. And to me, there's no higher uh, comments you can make about somebody than what you just said. You know, the highlight of what we think is the crest of their life, you know, prom or the ball or whatever it is in high school, and everyone's thinking about being cool. They thought enough to take uh, someone else that, right. that meant the world to yeah. them. And, those are special days. I, well, I remember those. Yeah. Those days, so. Well, let me, I want to finish up here, but I want to, I want to talk about one thing in your book, Shondell gets a chance to talk a little bit. And, uh, and it's no, not I'm true. Not, it's not I'm true. Not <laughs> <laughs> she actually said a couple of nice things. Oh, okay. But, uh, Those are true. Yeah. And, and, uh, you made a comment in there about, uh, or I think her dad made the comment. I might not make it to heaven, but I, I know what it's like to raise an angel. And yeah. uh, what I just thought that was so beautiful and so true. I mean, Sean Dell's as pure as they come. And honestly, she's, uh, she's, she's every bit your match when it comes to being great. She's built with integrity. That's for sure. She's got a great foundation and a great core. I sometimes wonder where I, you know, I mean, we all wondered that if we married up and I surely did both physically and, and spiritually and, and all, and all those years, she stuck by my side when I told her to not do that, you know, so. I've learned a lot from Shondell, and uh, I've got, I don't have a negative thing to say. I mean, I certainly have said them. I, I know I've said them. I just, nothing to back it up. You know, I, yeah. I think we make that uh, promise when we get married for better or for worse, but we don't plan on having, you know, you wouldn't want Camille to be helping you shower or wipe no. or any of those things that, you know, that we do to take care of our hygiene and take care of our bodies. And Shondell's done every bit of that, every, every part of that. And it's, very humbling on my end, but it does take a special person to do that. And this yeah. it takes a very, very special person to do that. Um, you know, I, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, I've tried thousands of times. I can never uh, record it nor write it right how I feel. And I don't know that I will be able to do that in this life. I, um, I have told her on several occasions that if all heaven is, if all heaven is, is me um, 
being her garden caretaker. That's if that's what heaven looks like. I would sign my name on the dotted line today, and I would twenty four seven take care of the garden. Um, if that's if that's what heaven is, and uh, she says I don't want that. I want you as my companion. Well, I don't really want that. I just want to take care of the garden. I just you know, let me just let me take care of your horse. Let me do something physically laboring and taxing. Let me do that. Because you labored and taxed over me, you're holding. Let me, you know, I don't. This eternal companion stuff is way beyond my scope and my reach and my thought process. Let me just take care of the garden, pull a couple weeds, and so anyway, her vision for eternity in heaven is something that it's way beyond. I mean, I've read scriptures and seen videos, and you know, I have some, I have some knowledge and wisdom. I think that I've been given, but I still. I to just go back to simple. You know, I'll just I'll just be the garden caretaker, and I'll do whatever. You know, I'll, I'll take care. I'll I'll wash the sidewalk. I'll scrub the vehicle. Although I probably don't have vehicles there, I'll I'll do whatever. You know, I just I need to I need to I feel like I need to pay her back. And then her comments, whatever spouses, you're already paying me. I don't want to hear that because that's how I I don't I'm never going to agree with that. So well, you know, you have to agree to disagree in that relationship, right? You have to agree to disagree. So. Well, you're going to lose that battle. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's you know, not no, well. no sense in even making that argument. I, no, don't even go there, brother. Those don't end in a positive movie night. They you don't. Know, they don't. I want to read this, what she says about it. Because, and again, I want to go back to to set the stage here again. Uh, it, Chad had his dreams, had this tremendous accident. Uh, you know, to say that was an obstacle in life is, you know, a, a an understatement. We all have them in our life. It's what we do with those obstacles that really define who we are. And again, this is coming from your wife talking about you after that. And this is Shondell. She says, speaking about you, she says, his willingness to change made the difference. And I think that is so key, your willingness to change. She said, we love our family. Chad worked hard to reclaim his life. That included reclaiming his role as husband, father, and provider. He has done that in ways that exceed everyone's expectations, including his own. By modifying the way he interacted with me and his boys after his accident, he created a better relationship than ever before, better than ever before. Even in his condition, or perhaps because of the increased determination and focus spawned by his condition, Chad begins to meet and exceed our financial goals. And so I just, I mean, there, there's your wife talking about uh, probably anyone I've ever met in my life or any story I've ever heard had more than enough reason and excuse to sit down and say, you know what, I've, I've, I'm okay. I'm going to sit here and nothing's expected. I'm okay. You know, people are going to wait on me. I'm going to do these things. And yet you came along and have set a world record in, in pushing something that, like we said, we don't even like driving. We're kidding, but we're not kidding. That's a hard thing to drive in a car. You've come along and you travel around the world. I think last year it says you do three, 400,000 miles a year, you, 200 different events, four or five countries and continents. Uh, and, and I mean, I know every time I talk to you in a whole, I don't even know where you're at. You know, I find where you're at, but all of those things you did, were after when you were given the excuse or obstacle. And so I think if those of us in our life 
come across an obstacle, what is it that we do with that? And, and I think that the key to me was when your dad talked to you in that motorhome after you had already broke the world record, right? Right. You, like we said, I just want to go home. But after you broke the world record, at that point, no one in the world would have blamed you for saying, my heavens, look what you've done. But yet you knew that you had set that goal. And to me, that is the exact reason why I've got you on it. Uh, for the people listening here, there, there is no obstacle that we can't overcome. Uh, there is nothing that we, oh, we haven't even got to the hang gliding story. And uh, I mean, this, this guy, and I, one of the funny things in there was, you talk about where they put you in, you said, I like to call it the sleeping bag and not a body bag. And uh, I, I thought that was hilarious. But any thoughts on that? I've got a couple of questions I wanted to close up with, but any thoughts up to this point, Chad, you'd like to share before I ask you those? No, I just like our listeners to remember that in these challenges and these times that, you know, these are all great stories, but they're this legacy that people will be talking about long after we're gone. And, and remember that there's no such thing as false hope, only false hopelessness, because for everything that you and I know, and we think we know a lot, there's so much more that we don't know about this planet and our bodies and so much that we don't know that tomorrow is going to be a better day because we're going to learn more. And we're given that incrementally, right? By research and science and our faith and, and our, our desire to be humble. We're, we're given more wisdom. The doors are open as we started today. The more doors are open to us as we exercise that patience. And again, I, I don't have that perfected. I'm not even close, but I do know the truth of that. So, Well, what you said is uh, basically... Uh, it's, it's like I said, it's changed my life. It changed my life even again today. But I guarantee you, Chad, there's going to be people who listen. There's lots of people, and it's going to change their life. But you know, as we're as we're recording this, uh, it's the Monday of the week of Thanksgiving. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, as of right now, in your heart, what what are you most grateful for today, right now, as we sit here? What's something that pops in your mind? What are you most grateful? Just the for? fact that I'm still here. I mean, I I uh, I uh, received news. Um, just this past week that there was a, my son just got married and his, uh, he's married into a really neat family. Um, and on her side of the family, the gal that he's married to the 33 year old husband of beautiful wife and two little children had a heart attack unexpectedly and, and left, you know, he's gone. And the funeral is this Friday, the Friday after Thanksgiving. And I think to myself, you know, I'm, I just turned 50 yesterday and I've lived a pretty good life. I'm, you know, I, I'd switch him. I'm, I'm, I'll, I, I just, I don't understand everything. And I guess I can resolve the fact that I don't have to, but I'm glad that I'm still here, but some things just don't make sense. Yeah. And I guess we're taught that they don't have to, and that we have to realize that and maybe he was, his work is more needed on the other side. I don't know, but great kid, great family. And, and his dad died of a heart attack as well at a young age. And so it's just tough. I, but so when you asked him to talk about gratitude, I'm grateful, I guess, that I'm still here today. And I, you know, you, we don't, nobody knows how much, how many days they have. And so we, uh, I don't know that talking about death is a bad thing, nor is it necessarily something that I should talk about every day, but, but, um, it's it's good to still be able to try and make this world a better place while I'm here because when I'm not, 
somebody's going to have to take over that role and hopefully it'll be, you know, somebody that, um, that I impacted that can, like when art died, art passed away. And I felt uh, an impression to fill some shoes that to carry on that legacy. And that's kind of where it all started. Well, and then the last question I like to ask people is looking back on your life and knowing that there are some listeners right now that are in a position that literally need a miracle or need something to change in their life uh, and need to uh, do things different. What's the one thing, if you could uh, identify the one thing in your life, knowing now what you know, looking back to overcome the obstacles you did, what's the one thing that you would recommend to people? Hey, if you're only gonna do one thing, this is the one thing I would do starting today, tomorrow, whatever. Let's have hope. First thing is just have hope. I mean, when everything else seems like at a loss or you, and everything's coming at you and, and you have absolutely no resources, just 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 start with some sort of a hope and maybe ask for help from a higher power that maybe you've never even talked to before. Maybe you have, I don't know. But ask for some help and have hope in that, that maybe there's somebody out there listening to you that you have never asked for help from before and um, see where that leads you. That's so powerful. And ironically, we talk on each of the podcasts, we talk about the reason we're trying to do this is to help people discover and magnify their God-given potential. And the reason behind that is we're trying to create a what we call a tsunami of hope. Whereas we all do that and we all realize our God-given potential, we all discover how to make it, magnify that. We're calling that, let's create a tsunami of hope. And so for you to talk about hope, brother, that's a, that's a good thing. Awesome stuff. No, well, I, uh, I just want you to know, Chad, I love you. I love what you stand for. You have literally made my life so much better in every way possible. Just being around you. Uh, I know you and I joke and kid a lot, but uh, I'd do anything in the world for you or your family. You're as good a man as I've ever met in my life. I just want you to know well, that. Thanks, bro. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, this has been my pleasure. And uh, for now, we'll sign off. And I'll reach out to you in a minute, Chad. All right. Thank take you. care. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.